Take your Bible this morning and go to the book of Matthew, chapter 17, where I'm going to be sharing a message that I've entitled, Lunatics, Lousy Disciples, and Little Seeds. So I want you to look with me in Matthew 17. We have to get to context first and see what our Lord would speak into our soul today. Welcome. Glad you're here. I'm glad to be back. And uh, in this place, we've had a good month away and uh, enjoyed uh, a little respite. Uh, you know, for uh, this preacher, I don't know about everybody else, but uh, I have to get my voice back into preaching shape. So, uh, and I hadn't preached in a month, so we may be here a while, all right? No, not really. But uh, uh, I want us to, I want you just to understand how much I love you. I'm grateful for you. Uh, thank you for uh, loving on us and encouraging my family uh, during these days. So thank you, and I'm grateful for our staff team. Uh, for all that they uh, uh, did and taking care of things while I was away. I think they only called me two times, so that was good. And uh, one of them was not good, but uh, the other one was good. So uh, the one that was bad knows about it. So uh, uh, you just don't call the preacher while he's gone on sabbatical, okay? That's the 11th commandment. Uh, you just don't do that. But our team has been really great and uh, took care of things. I love them. Thank God for each one of them and all they did. Matthew 17. Now get to context. We're going to be in reading in verse 14 just a moment. But first, you start in verse 1. Jesus is on the mountain. Don't you love to go to the mountaintop? Amen. Boy, I love living on a mountaintop, but you can't stay there forever. Some you have to come in the valley. There are highs and there are lows, and we're going to look at both of them in just a moment. Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's there with Peter, James, and John. And the Bible says in the second verse, while they were on the mountain, Jesus was transfigured. His figure changed. That that was on the inside got on the outside. The glory of God in him began to shine through. And then Moses and Elijah showed up. They've been dead for years. And the Bible says they spoke to Jesus. Boy, that'd have been a great meeting to be in, wouldn't it? You hear the giver of the law, the prophet, and then the man of grace that they're speaking to. My soul. And of course, Peter then, he had to have something to say. Peter jumps right in uh, to this angelic conversation, and he said, I'll make a motion. He won't have a Baptist business meeting. He said, I'll make a motion that we start a building campaign. And Lord, we'll build three tabernacles, one for each one of you. And he didn't more than get that out of his mouth than a voice from heaven boomed. and said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. The Bible says Peter, James, and John fell on their face and they were terribly frightened. They were sore afraid. And Jesus picked them up and said, fear not, fear not, fear not. From that time, they left the mountain. He is transfigured, talking to Moses, Elijah, coming down then into the valley. And as they reach into the valley, we pick up the conversation beginning in verse 14. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic and is very ill. 
for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, you unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. Jesus rebuked him. The demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not drive him out? That's a great question. Lord, why couldn't we take care of this? And he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, For truly I say to you, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here and there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. They get to context. Jesus on the mountain. The glory of God's come. It's a high, high moment. And then they walk down into the valley. Mark records this in chapter 9. Luke also records it, and we'll look into just a little bit uh, of that uh, in this message. But we see Matthew, Mark, and Luke giving us this encounter that uh, Jesus and the disciples then come into this crowd. The scribes are there. They're arguing about religion, and, and people are screaming. And then this man comes up to Jesus with his child. And I want to show you some things out of this. Three headings I want you to think with me about uh, today. First of all, I want you to see what I call a family in need. Here here comes this man. He he comes with his son. He says, Lord, here's my boy. And and he's sick. And and I tried to get the disciples to help him, but your disciples couldn't do it. Uh, Lord, can you help me? He is a lunatic. Now, we use that word kind of a different context than what we find here, but uh, this word lunatic, when you look in the background of this Greek word, it has as its root the word for moon, moon. And when you take the Greek New Testament and you put it over into Latin, the common language, you, you, you get the word luna or lunar when we think of the moon. This, literally, he's saying, my son is moonstruck. You you use this from time to time. You really don't mean it, but you say it. You've had a real bad day, and just things have not gone well, and you'll say, boy, it must be a full moon. People howling at the moon. They're moonstruck. Some of them might be on moonshine, but... uh, This is the bottom of this word, that that there's something from another world, and and this boy's been thrown into the fire, into the water. Uh, You read the context of Mark and and Luke. He would get stiff, foam at the mouth, and uh, he was demon-possessed. He's a lunatic. Well, over in Mark's gospel, the conversation picks up a little bit. We learn some things in Mark chapter 9. Listen. Uh, in verse 21, and he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, since childhood, since he's just a little boy, uh, this has been happening. He's often thrown both into the fire and into the water, destroy him. And then listen to this, verse 22. But if you can do anything, 
take pity on us and help us. And look at Jesus' response. I love this. And Jesus said to him, if you can. I mean, I can almost see our Lord smile behind this. The man said, Lord, take pity. If you can do anything, help us. And Jesus said, if you can. If I can. Oh, don't worry, Jesus can. Amen. He said, but if you can. <laughs> Jesus said, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Boy, is that not us? What I believe, but I don't know. Listen, friends. We are living in a world of lunatics. Amen. The world's gone mad. I've never seen our culture in, in my time. I didn't live through World War II. I, I'm not that old. I don't remember the Great Depression. My daddy went through it, but I didn't. Culture's been through it, but I'm telling you, this sexual revolution that we are in, we, we are in a day like the world has never seen globally. We, we've never seen anything like this. And there are people howling at the moon all over the world. And we must demonstrate love, grace, and power to children, to middle school students, to high school students, to college students, and their parents because the family is in crisis. Mother and daddy say, we don't know what to do. It's, it's as if they've gone nuts, as if they're crazy. I mean, even Disney World's gone crazy. They've gone goofy for sure. It's amazing. They'll no longer even call you boys and girls, welcome men and women. They just call you friends now. I'm telling you, it, 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 there's lunacy about. And what we must do, the only answer, listen to me, the only answer to this is to get them to Jesus' feet. Get them to Jesus' feet. Thank God for counselors. We have counseling here. We use others. And we need to, but I'm telling you, unless the counselor gets them to Jesus' feet, not going to solve this issue. The family is in crisis. Moms and dads and argumentation and wickedness and vileness and perversion all about. We need to run to Jesus' feet. When we get them to Jesus' feet, I'm telling you, Lord, can, you, can I help? Yes, he can. That's why we do these ministries around here with children. That's why you saw people here last week, Sean let out and getting ready for vacation Bible school, getting everyone ready for that and for summer ministry uh, with middle schoolers, high schoolers, what we do on Tuesday evening and other times with college students and uh, reaching them with the gospel. Our goal is to get them to Jesus' feet. The family is in crisis today. Now listen to me. It's over if, if we don't have a move of God. We're done. That's why I've got that lamp going today. 
I want it to be a constant reminder. We need the fire of God. We need the light of heaven. We need God to come in purification of his church. There, there is a family that is in need. But not only we see in this text a family in need, we see a church in crisis. The church is in crisis. Why is it? Well, notice it. The man said to Jesus, I took him you had Peter, James, and John on the mountain. They ever left nine disciples down in the valley. He said, I took, the, I took my boy to these nine, and they couldn't do it. They, they, they could not do anything. And Jesus looked at them and said, you perverted and unbelieving generation. How long have I going to be with you? Moses quoted this in Deuteronomy 32, verse number 5. Moses is writing that great song. Or read the 32nd chapter of Deuteronomy. Moses is a hymn writer there. And he said, you, you've acted corruptly toward them. They're not his children because of their defect, but a perverse and crooked generation. Here Jesus is quoting Moses, that great lawgiver. Uh, that's what we got today. Not the world. I'm telling you, the church, when you fall into unbelief, is a crooked and perverse generation. Paul said it. He quoted this same thing in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14, 15. He said to do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the middle of what? <laughs> a crooked and perverse generation. Our job in the middle of this crooked, perverse generation is let the church be not crooked, let it not be perverse, but let it be a people filled by faith. Jesus started walking off with them, and they came to him, and, and they got in a holy huddle, and, and they looked around, and they said, shh. They came privately and said, Lord, why, why couldn't we deal with this? He said, because of the littleness of your faith. All through Scripture, Jesus uses this phrase in, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew is found five times. We find it in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 and verse number 30. Jesus said, don't have little faith. Chapter 8 and verse 26, when the disciples were in the boat and they got scared of the storm, Jesus said, why do you have such little faith? You remember when Peter had walked on the water and then he looked about and he began to sink Jesus saved him in Matthew 14, 31, said, why do you have such little faith? Well, when they got together for dinner in Matthew 16, verse 8, the disciples didn't even know if they are going to have enough bread. And Jesus said, why do you have such little faith? Don't you remember I fed 5,000 with just a little basket of bread? Jesus can. And we must not be a church in Christ. Listen to me, church. Nothing great Nothing great has ever been accomplished with half of someone's heart. Mm -mm. He's looking for all of your heart, not indifference, not apathy, not half-heartedness. That just leads us to go through the motions and not have radical faith. We must believe, and we must believe radically. Jesus went to say your littleness of faith is what's killing you. You have faith like a grain of mustard seed. Well, I remember him. I've shared this with you again and again from time to time. We come to this faith topic. It's my friend Manly Beasley. He's dead and gone to heaven. I remember the first time I met Manly, he looked right at me. <laughs> he said, a young man, what do you believe in God for right now? I said, I, I, I. He said, you ain't believing God for nothing or you'd know. 
I started backing up. I said, who is this crazy man? Second time I met him, he pointed the finger and asked me the same thing. He said, young man, what do you believe in God for right now? I said, well, I, I, you know, I, he said, you're not believing God for anything. If you were believing, you'd know right now. And I remember, I said, he won't ever do that to me again. I said, I'll make up something. <laughs> I saw him coming. I'll never forget it. I saw Banley coming. I knew what he's going to do. And so I got me something real spiritual in my heart. He said, young man, what do you believe in God for? Boy, I put it right on it. He said, you're lying. You just made that up. <laughs> well, it's not his first rodeo right here. The old prophet of God nailed me, but I'm telling you, I want you to hear me, church. I, I, you asked me that question today, I'm going to tell you what I'm believing God for. I'm believing God for a supernatural, Holy Ghost, earth-shaking, church-changing revival right here in this place. That's what I'm believing God for. As a matter of fact, if we don't have it, we are done. We, we are done. And, and this will not come by half-heartedness. It won't come with little faith. It'll take all we are given to all He is so that He can do all that He can do, knowing that we can do nothing, but Jesus can do all things. You see, friend, the church is in a crisis today. And that crisis is the littleness. Of faith. There's a principle that we must remember that grows right out. There's a third thing I want you to see today. And then I want to give a gospel invitation to invite you to this altar. And that is, there's a principle here for all time. Jesus said, it's not the littlest of faith, but if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be moved over here. But this kind comes only by prayer and fasting. There's three things we, we got to have. We got to have faith. We've we got to learn to pray, and we must learn to fast. Faith plus prayer plus fasting. And I'm telling you, if we begin to put these things together, God will move in your life and in our church. You've got to believe God. You've got to learn to believe God. Find what God says, as Manly used to say, count as if it is so when it's not so, nor order it can be so. Amen. Even when it's not so, you count as if it is so, so it can be so. You walk not by sight, you walk by faith. So you, you put faith. Then you begin to pray, oh God, oh God. And you begin to cry out unto him for some things. And then you multiply that, add to it, fasting. Now that's why we're doing these 10 days of prayer. You say, Pastor, isn't it usually 40? Well, some days you do 40, you can do 30, you can do one day of fasting. One day a week, however you want to do it. But I've chosen to lead us in 10 days of one meal a day. Pray and fast up to Easter. Starting this Wednesday, I'll be out in the Corners building. High noon, I'm going to light this lamp every day at noon. We'll have it on that table. People come in, we'll read the Word, we'll pray. We'll get in small groups, pray by ourselves. You may stay five minutes, you may stay 30, you may stay an hour, you may stay longer than that. But we're just going to fast. You say, well, preacher, I really don't know what I can do that. Well, hear me. Fasting, all fasting does, Fasting is to take your attention off of everything except God. Matter of fact, some of you don't need to fast a meal. You really don't. Some of you need to walk in that building and leave this in the truck. You need to fast this. You need to leave it in the car for one hour. It'll be there when you get back. 
say, oh, but what if somebody, you're not that important. Okay? If you're that important, they probably wouldn't even let you out of the building. Well, preacher, I just got to have it. No, I'm telling you, what you got to have is God. Turn that stinking thing off. All it'll be, I'm telling you, you'll get on your knees and you'll begin to cry out unto the Lord and I'm here. You can hear this vibrate when it doesn't even vibrate. I'm telling you the truth. There are times you, you'll just, you think, was that my phone? You've heard it so much, it's in your head. Zzz, zzz, zzz. Fast your media. Fast your food. Just get everything else out of the way. And could you just give God 50 minutes for 10 days? Just 50 minutes for 10 days. I'm telling you, meet me out there. We'll light that lamp. You won't be embarrassed. We'll pray together. You don't have to stay the whole time. You come pray for a little while. It's just very informal. We'll be out there. We're going to turn off our phones. I'm going to leave mine in the office. We'll just pray together. And that'll lead us Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And Sunday, of course, we'll have church. And then we'll do it again on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then we get out to Good Friday. On Good Friday, we're going to have a service here at 6 o'clock. And we'll have the praying here. But on that Friday, we're going to meet at 12 noon. And then we're going to put signs up. And if anybody wants to just drive in and be prayed for, we're going to do that on Friday afternoon. We're going to some lay people out there, staff folks. And we'll, we'll be there and take our... Turn people, just see a sign that said, come in for prayer. You never, you said, please, nobody will stop. Well, okay, so what did we lose? But what if that old boy gets a cancer report across the street and pulls out and goes by and there's a sign. It says, pull in, we'll pray for you. I'm telling you, that old boy got that report. It's going to pull in and say, somebody believe God for me. So we're going to cry out to the Lord. We'll do that publicly. Why couldn't we cast it out, Lord? Because of the littleness of your faith. If you'll just have faith like a grain of mustard. You say, preacher, it doesn't doesn't seem like that goes. You don't have big seeds. No, it, it doesn't take much when it's the real thing. See, when you've got Bible faith and you've really given God all, God does the miraculous when you just believe him even like a grain of mustard seed. Friend, we got a journey to go on, a race to run, a warfare to accomplish, and a great work to do because nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. So join me out here and let's pray together. Join me in this altar this morning. Let's, let's ask God to do a work in our life. I made a new acquaintance oh, a couple of weeks back. I can't pronounce his name. He's Russian, and his name's this long. I mean, it's... It just goes on and on. I listened to his testimony, and then I saw where he's going to be at Steelwood Country Club in a few days. And there was a phone number, and I called him. He had sent an email out to some pastors. He's the president of the Moscow Theological Seminary. He's a Russian. He was over here in America doing some work 
when the war broke out in the Ukraine and he can't get home. And so he's stuck. Look, does that sound familiar? So he can't get back. And he's here just visiting people, probably raising money for the school, that kind of So I just called him. I said, I hear you see you're going to be right over here about 40 minutes away from where I'm. I just want to talk. I said, I listen to your testimony. And so we began to fellowship, and I think I made a new friend, at least an acquaintance. In his testimony, he said he was converted three times. And when I heard that, I said, well, this is not good. This is not orthodox. You're not thrice converted. You're once converted. You don't have to get saved over and over and over and over and over. He was a KGB agent, atheist in Moscow years ago. When American missionaries came, began to work in a school where his kids were going. And he said he began to go and watch them to interrogate because if they spoke of God, of course they could deal with them. He said, I had a great paying job working for this secret service agency in Russia. Hmm. And he said, the more I listened to these missionaries just there to interrogate, the more it made sense. And he said, my first conversion was the conversion of my mind. He said, I'd, never, I'd always said there's not a God, there can't be a God, there's certainly no Bible. But he said, I opened my mind that there might be a God and that the Bible might be true. And he said, I began to read it. It was my first conversion. And he said, months went by and he said, I had my second conversion. That was not of my mind, but of my heart. He said, I was what you guys call saved, converted, born again. He said, I had a conversion of my mind and opened it that there might be a God in the Bible and then God opened my heart and I was saved. Some of you in this room today, you say, well, I believe in my head, but now it's time for you to believe in your heart. But this guy was still working with that Russian agency. He said it took two more years till my third conversion. And it's what I believe the church in America needs today. It's what he called a conversion of his guts. Mm. He said, I, I had a conversion in my head. And he said, I had a conversion in my heart. But he said, I had to decide if I was going to go public with this or not because I knew it cost me my job, maybe my life. And he said, finally, I had the conversion of my guts. And I said, I will step out and step forward knowing that it will cost me this great paying job. And it did. But God had a plan. And that's how the Moscow Seminary became reality. It's because they put him in a certain category and began to work all things out for good. But he said it all started when I had a conversion of my guts. And I decided to go for some of you in this place. You've believed in your heart, but you need to have a conversion. You need to have enough guts to get up out of your seat and walk down here and take me by the hand this morning. You say, Pastor, I'm going public. So you need to have enough guts just to walk into this baptistry and say, I, I, I'm going to believe. Some of you need to have enough guts to name the name of Jesus where you work. 
When they ask you, where, where are you going for lunch uh, on Wednesday? You say, well, I, I'm going down to church, going to prayer meeting, not going to eat today. We're going to... See, I believe if the church in America, you know, let's, just, let's just say the church at Olive, that's the only one we're in charge of. What would happen if we had a guts conversion? See, I think his vernacular gets our attention. It's really just a conversion of walking by faith. That's what it is. Not by sight, but by faith. We know what God said, so we're going to do it whether we can see it or not. Lord, why couldn't we touch this boy? Because of the littleness of your faith. Mm. You crooked and perverse generation. How long am I going to have to put up with you? Mm. Of course, they go on down, and Jesus dies and rises, and they wind up at Pentecost. The Spirit of God falls. I'm, I'm just believing, God, that's going to come. Not a second Pentecost. We don't need another Pentecost. We, we just need a conversion of our guts. We get over our fear. We walk not by fear, we walk by faith. You don't walk by arrogance in this. You're beating people up. But, but you just trust God as you walk forward. It's the way he'd have you go. So from the mountain to the valley. Well, it's basketball season. Tomorrow night's the big game. Those of you who have been hearing me a long time know that I always loved Coach John Wooden, UCLA, and I wanted his job and all of that stuff. I was flying in one night to Pensacola on the 1030 flight from Atlanta, and I had some books I was reading, and one of them was a sports book. And the guy sitting next to me, he said, do you read that a lot? I said, well, yeah, I read that. He said, I see you have one of Coach Wooden's books. Do you yeah, I said, oh, I've read everything he's ever written and everything ever written about him. I have it in my library, and I've read it. He said, you like him, huh? I said, boy, I really do. I think he's the greatest. He said, would you like to talk to him? I put my glasses off. I said, say, say that again? He said, would you like to talk to him? I said, am I on a Delta flight, and I'm redheaded? I'm telling you, I, I would. He said, I'll see what I can do. Don't leave in a hurry. We get off the plane. Well, the uh, story is he was Dr. He's John Wooden's financial advisor. He said, I'll get him on the phone. He said, it's 1030 here, just 830 on the West Coast. He's not going to bed yet. He motioned me over and handed me the phone. I said, coach. And he said, yes, sir. And I could not get out of my mouth these words. I, I started to say, coach, I want to thank you. And when I got to the word thank, I said, I want to, and he interrupted. He said, no, 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 young man. You, you don't thank me. I just coach a game. I want to thank you because you preach the riches of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's the real game we need to all be in. I threw that phone. I ran down the hall. I... <laughs> that old man had so encouraged me, but I've never forgotten those words. 
There's some things that are just a game. They don't count, but I'm for eternity. But hear me. We're in this race to win it. We're in this warfare to win it. We're in this contest of faith to run it. Now, bless God, it takes some guts. You sell out the guts. It's, I can't, but he can, and I'll step out. Now, I can't wait to go over to Mobile and talk to this guy. Just have a conversation about his thrice being converted. <laughs> wow. You ever been converted? You ever asked the Lord to come into your heart? You done that? At home, have you ever done it? At the Warrington campus, have you ever done it? If, if you haven't, I, I encourage you today, ask him to come in. He'll do it. If you do that at home, you're listening online, just text me. 94,000 is the number. Send me the word Savior. It's all you got to do. Just go to 94,000 on your phone. Send me Savior. We'll reach back to you and help you. Let us know that you're praying. Want to know him. We'll help you to know him. You're in this room today. You've never made that step. Then we sing this song. John leads us. Then I'll be right here. You come and and say yes. You say, Pastor, I'm just going to believe be a secret disciple. Have some guts. Step out. You say, preacher, I want to join the church. Say, good, step out, come. You can do it in the foyer. Amen. You can do it out there at Next Steps, wherever you want to do it. But I'm telling you, if you come here, you'll encourage some others. Just, just step out. You, just out in the aisle, down, out of the balcony, in his wings. Just come here across this ground. Just come. Some of you have already been down here. At the office, it's time to step out. At home, have some guts. Time to step out. In your recreation, time to step out. Liz and I, down in Destin a few days this week, at the invitation of some friends who put us up and helped us. We watch these guys playing golf. I didn't play, but man, you'd hear words out there on that golf course. I remember years ago, we, <laughs> we used to advertise on a country radio station. They invited me to come play golf with them. So Pete Wells and I went and played golf with these two disc jockeys. We were playing. The first hole they hit one, it went off in the woods. The guy hollered, four! I thought, well, I'm not going to hit anybody. Nobody over there. Next hole they hit one, went over, he hollered, six. I said, what in the world? They kept hollering his numbers. After a while, I said, what are y'all doing? They said, well, we know we're praying with the preacher, so we just numbered our cuss words today. <laughs> Instead of saying a word, we just used, I said, you know the Lord can count, don't you? I said, you, you understand that. Uh, we, but it gave opportunity for us to have some guts and talk about the gospel. Friend, you... You, you got to do it. You, you got to go. Conversion of the mind, that's a good thing. The conversion of the heart, praise God if you've never trusted. Oh, but go public. Go public. It's really not the conversion of your guts. It's the conversion of your feet and walking by faith. So step out. Wouldn't you come today? You? You?
when you come, just step out down this aisle, down this aisle, down. come. In a moment when we stand and after I pray, maybe just turn to somebody next to you and say, I'll go with you if you'd like to go. Just tell them that. You'd be, you said, be a little forward. It'd be all right. Just ask them. If they say no, amen. But somebody may say, yeah, if you go with me, I'll be willing to go. Just reach over, take their hand, say, I'll go with you if you're ready. This is the day the Lord has made. It's the day of salvation for somebody in this room. If you're here and need to know him, come. If you're here or to join this church, come. If you're here and just need to learn to walk by faith and you're ready to surrender, come to this altar. And let's cry out, oh God, oh God. I'm tired of being a part of the crooked and perverse generation, Lord. I don't want to walk by little faith. I want to walk by faithful all the days of my life. Lord, have your way in every heart and every life, every pew. I pray, oh God, you draw people to yourself. Save, encourage, bless, strengthen. So we have a guts conversion. Stepping out. Lord, we confess sometimes we're frightened. Lord, I pray you'll cause our fear to dissipate and our faith to rise. Have your way right now in this invitation. Draw people to yourself, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.